Out there on the balcony. Yeah, go just get me daily exercise. You know what I mean, keeping fit, getting the air, oh, the sea air nice. in me. What? What? What's with all the seagulls? Well, lad, don't know. I haven't eaten any chips. I don't know why they're after. I don't know waffles or any kind of snacks from, but they're just. They're There's fucking hundreds out here, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. I might have just stirred them up from the rocks. I've been pounding what? a few around the uh, the old rim of the, the lighthouse. Oh, well, listen, it's uh, pounding a few around the old rim, eh? <laughs> <laughs> the thing I like to do in the morning. Well, the thing is, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful with these seagulls and stuff, you know? You're out here now with these seagulls. They could have you. You reckon? They've always yeah. been all right with seagulls. Well, well, I think you've got to be careful. Well, what you need to do now is come in and, and let's have a few stories. Oh, that sounds need. better. You get me scared now. I thought you were only with chips that they started going yeah, for you. It's... I'm coming in, I'm coming in. Let's get in. It's lovely and sunny, though. Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll have a few windows open. We'll open window yeah. outside. You know, yeah, so kettle can... No, I don't want hot drinks today. I want a... I've got myself a nice bit of fizzy pop. All right, right fizz... I'll do it. Do you want some fizzy pop? Yeah, some pop will be nice. Oh, okay. give me some pop. Nice fizz... <laughs> right, there's one for you. There's lovely. one for me. Right, here we go. Got a lovely fizzy pop, you know. So... Did you, did you get a bit of sunshine out there? Was it nice? It and was sunny? absolutely glorious day. Nice sea air, lovely sunny sunshine. Can't beat it. And then some pop. Well, that's all right. You see, this is where you should do it. You see, you don't need to go far. All you need to do is look out for it. Get on your balcony, open a window, get a bit of fresh air. That's all you need. It is. It is. I'm happy. Happy days. <laughs> well, I've been really busy, you see. I know you've been out polishing all the lenses and getting stuff sorted out, but I've been making sure the light is shining out, you see. Nice. So, have you gathered much? I have. I've seen some amazing stuff. So I've harvested I'm... some facts yeah. for the Benny. Oh, I've got some facts for you, Benny. We haven't introduced Lovely. ourselves, have we? Oh, that's a good point. Good point. No, you see, because here we are at Kraken Cove, you see. Uh, I'm Matt. And I'm Benny. And there you go, you see, that's us, us here at Kraken Cove. And we're the lighthouse keepers. Um, we are here to sort of tend the lighthouse, make sure it shines out, make sure there's no shipwrecks or anything nasty like that. And uh, it's our duty to be out here. Because exactly. uh, we, yeah, we got caught nicking sweets, didn't we? Back so it's day. like now our back in day punishment our penance, for that. Our, our penance, penance for those exactly. penny sweets. Penance for penance, penny sweets. So the thing is, right, so because we're here and I've been shining out something, uh, shining a beacon onto the bazaar, um, I've got a great one here for you. Oh, we've got a starter. Uh, Go on then. Yeah. I've got a ring that was lost in the in America, right, 47 years ago. It's found buried in a Finnish forest. What right. the... I like that. Because I've heard of it before. Yeah. They've lost them in garden and then a, like a, a, a flower's grown and it's been on the flower and they've found it that way and stuff. Weird shit with rings. What? But going yeah, to a different been, continent. <laughs> yeah. A different continent completely, you know. And um, a lot of the time it's like these... They're quite often found on carrots. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, so somebody's been gardening and the the, the the sort of like there's a carrot planted and the carrot kind of grows through the ring. You pull the old carrot out and there's the ring. What like some um, like Prince Albert type affair? <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose so. Maybe not quite. I don't think it's piercing it in oh, a right, sexual yeah, you just manner. round it like some ring. <laughs> <laughs> round it like some ring. Exactly. That's what it's like. So this is a Sky News story. I don't know who wrote this one to be honest, but it says here, it says in 1973 a teenager. Deborah McKenna accidentally left her future husband's ring in a department store in the US town of Brunswick, Maine. Fast forward 40, 47 years and it's been found by a sheet metal worker buried in a Finnish forest. Whoa. So Ms. McKenna, right, 63, lost the ring in Portland when she was a student at Morse High School, the Bangor Daily News reports. The ring, which had engravings identifying the school, belonged to Miss McKenna's late husband, uh, Sean, uh, who she dated all through high school and college. The couple were married right for 40 years until Sean died in 2017 after a six-year battle with cancer. Bless. So that's a bit sad, isn't it? You know what it I mean? is you know, sad. Yeah. Tell me more about this Finnish forest. 
well, this is the thing, you see. So she she'd left this ring in a department store. I don't know how you do that, right? <laughs> and she said that the, the the ring was largely forgotten until this worker found it buried under eight inches of soil in Karina, a small town in southwest Finland. So Finnish media reports that uh, Marco Salinen was using a metal detector when he found the blue stone silver ring. Usually my findings are bottle caps and other junk, he said. <laughs> but he still keeps accent. going out there, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's what he's been doing. I do it for 10 years. <laughs> like, what? And he finding that shy. <laughs> yeah. So he's sort of like, so they found this, they found the ring. Um, and they don't know how it got there, you know? So he's, he's obviously, what has happened with this guy? He's, he's found the things, the the uh, uh, initials, he's found all the stuff to do with the ring. And he's he's got in touch, he's looked it up. That's sorted fantastic. It all yeah, so I think that's amazing. But how the hell do you think it got there? Oh, you see, you it fucking trips me out. I did it once. I were in Thailand uh, on my honeymoon. Uh, I was scuba, oh, not scuba. I was uh, snorkeling in the morning, pissed out my head, wedding ring on my finger, and I just felt it just slip off. You know what I mean? I was just no! like, oh shit! I could just see it. You know, like a wink of it gone. And I mean, it was clear seas. I, I was just snorkeling for hours trying to find that just gone you know just disappeared you know it's just so random in it the mess beneath you but you think oh, where's no. that gone you know it could go bloody the journey from my finger for those few seconds is just lost well did you did you ever find it again no no we're there hours mate absolutely hours oh. other week i was just opening my window and the new wedding ring it's like a replica of it just pinged off my finger and it just somehow got caught on the window, flung out into the garden. I was out in the garden for about three hours, couldn't find it, went out next day and it was just there, you know, just so randomly. You know, oh, it, it felt like some ghost had took it on my finger. But to go from well, like thing. America to a Finnish forest, well, how, how many feet underground? Is it four feet or something? Stupid. No, eight, eight inches, only eight, eight inches. inches. But still, that's but, quite a lot of debris, isn't it? Well, I, I've, I I sometimes think you see these things that are kind of you've got emotional attachments to that have some sort of energy to them. Yeah, uh, and they could, it could kind of fall through a portal, couldn't it? Oh man, on that bogle one that took it off my finger. Did, I think it was because I pissed up the the, <laughs> the snorkeling <laughs> one. Uh, but the one when I opened finger were like you know it were like uh, Lord of Rings or something where it came off my finger and it flipped through air and it was just gone. And we're there with a powerful torch in a tiny little yard and it absolutely disappeared on me. But, oh, that's that's absolutely bad. That you know, mm. but I mean it's no. So I'm I'm a, I have a feeling that that's what the situation is there. I think it's fallen through a portal. And it's just been sort of. There must be like a little magical realm. Just you drop it in one department store in where was it? Oregon, uh, Brunswick, Maine, and maybe that little portal goes straight through to this Finnish forest. Maybe you can what just hop it? on it yourself and just. Well, it was just a really big hole. You know, like we go to Australia, don't we? If it's, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that is, you know, from America. It might not be a bad shout. You know, opposite end. <laughs> Yeah, maybe just just literally a tunnel. That's all it is. <laughs> a little mouse hole. <laughs> well, going from there, you see, uh, from Finnish forest forty-seven years ago and stuff like this. Um, now we're going to go somewhere a bit a bit weirder. We're off into space again. Oh, cast it up. Grind that old spotlight up. I love space oh, stories. It's going up towards space. And it, it, admittedly, you can't see any stars right now because it's lovely blue blue sky and sunny day. And all you can see is effing seagulls just flapping around and stuff. <laughs> they are a lot, actually. Yeah. Fucking hundreds. But the, but the thing is here now, astronauts, right, they're growing new organs in the International Space Station. Oh, give up. Love yeah, that. This is mad. And this like is story. brand new ones or like asleep ones. What's that one you have to get cut out that doesn't do well? Oh, the um, uh, appendix. Yeah, yeah, your appendix. Yeah. Is that growing back or is it a brand new squeaky oh. clean organ? <laughs> Let me tell you all about it. This is, a, this is a story from Andrew Griffin in The Independent. So... Astronauts are growing the beginnings of new organs on board the International Space Station. The experiment is an attempt to grow human tissue by sending adult human stem cells into space and allowing them to grow in space. Eventually, it is hoped the stem cells will develop into bone, cartilage and other organs. If that is successful, the discoveries can be used to try and grow organs for transplant. 
the scientists involved say. Now, people, you might sort of say to yourself, well, what, why bother growing them all the way up, you know, in space? Why arse around with that? Well, the reason is the experiment uses weightlessness as a tool. So what happens is, as the growing things, it allows things to grow in three dimensions. Right. It's not it's not sort of like growing, you know, if, you, if you're growing something very delicate, because of gravity, yeah, it's, it's tendency against, to grow flat, yes. Yeah, it's against it. something. So they're saying weightlessness is a perfect sort of uh, place, or, or space is a perfect place to grow things. So it can grow in a three-dimensional sort of like a structure. Can't well, first of all, I've got to say, I feel like you did a bit of a clickbait on me there, you know what I mean? <laughs> you, made it, you made it sound like fucking astronauts are growing brand new shit inside them, and then when we delved into it, <laughs> you proper clickbait me ass. But another one is, can't they just do zero gravity on Earth? The fucking must cost a bit going to space. Can't they just, like, do tech air out of a sealed room and, I don't know, can't you... Even oh, one of, you, remember, remember James Bond were going around in one of them fucking a centrifuge. <laughs> well, the things with the centri- things with the centrifuge is it actually creates extra gravity or extra force on the body. Ah, right. So it adds, or should I say, adds G force or gravitational force. Um, as far as even in a vacuum in, in down on Earth, there's still gravity. Gravity yeah, still affects you. Yeah, I bet you're right. There's, actually, even in planes, you know, you can't be doing that all 24 hours, seven days. No, a week, well, can well, you? that's that's the only way they've actually been able to do it on Earth or near to Earth is actually by having a a, a plane go into a dive, and that's yeah. what they used to call the vomit comet. <laughs> yeah. So you'd be able to float, but you really all you did, you can only do it for a few seconds. Really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and it's that's the only that's the only way of actually uh, doing achieving that. Throw M M&M up and scoff the M&M and all yeah. that shit they do. They, yes. they have done experiments uh, where they made, I think it was a frog that made float by actually creating a zero gravity field but mm. they only managed to do it for a few seconds on Earth, so they have done it yeah, they have yeah, created a zero gravity field but I think it exerts so many um, such energy on whatever it's been worked on it's actually sort of uh, goes against the reasons for doing it. You know, just going back to stem, I thought it were all banned all stem cell stuff. I thought like uh, Superman were trying to sort it out, weren't he? And they were like, "Nah, we're not going to do it, mate. It's wrong." Su- Superman, you know, Ollie, is it Ollie Reed? What reason? Is it? No, not Ollie Reed. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ, <laughs> boozy Superman. What's his name? You know, one who Christopher Reeve. And he took a dive off arse, didn't he? And he yeah, Christopher wheelchair. Reeve. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he was like it. proper fighting for stem cells and that. People are like saying, no, it's really just like little babies, isn't it? Really, stem cells and stuff, and it's, it's a bit wrong. Well, they're a bit, they're a bit funny about things like that in America. Um, they're a bit sort of like because they sort of say, like, oh, it is just playing God and all that sort of malarkey. Mm. Uh, but the reality is, no, they're working with a lot of stem cell stuff here now. It is, it is. There's a lot of uh, all the most cutting edge sort of physical sciences, yeah. sort of biological sciences, to do with stem cells and what they can do. Um, they could actually sort of like, uh, you know, it's, but it's, it is amazing. I, I, I think, yeah, we should do these things. I think you got to have a bit of a. Um, Bit of control on it. You I don't know, really you've understand got be, what they are, though. What are, what are stem cells? Well, I, I must admit, I don't rightly know. It's not my field. Yeah, yeah. As far as, as as far as I can tell, what stem cell is, um, it's actually like a. Imagine if you were sort of like taking. A, you can take a bit of a plant, can't you? And just stick it in the soil, and nothing happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I think a stem cell is a sort of thing which holds all the DNA uh, uh, DNA code needed. To create life, if you see what I mean, although it is alive, I yeah. think a stem cell has all the genetic needs within it, so you can tweak it to make it make it. I don't know, a liver or a kidney or an arm or a yeah. leg or whatever. Oh, well, fair play! We're going a bit deep dive on this, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but I think it's an interesting subject. Obviously, we don't know enough about it, but what yeah. we should do uh, in these times, we've got a bit of time on our hands. We should look it up. Yeah, true. Actually, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. This We'll, we'll go yeah, down we'll to the library that. room see if they've got it down there. I knew we, you never know we could we could uh, we could take stem cells out of one of them fucking seagulls come by and splice them with a dolphin. Let's see. What we can oh, I can imagine that. We'd make a dolphin that loves chips. <laughs> <laughs> That's as far as it goes. Not like some flying. That's what we do. Just <laughs> that, that's, our, that's our only goal. Yeah, can, oh, can you imagine what a pest it'd be? <laughs> oh, can you fl- <laughs> <laughs> Both of them are assholes as it is. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> combine a man turn out a nice creature for once, you know what I mean? Oh, or really wrong. Imagine that, just takes out the. Yeah, I think he'd be a robin. Oh, funnily enough, talking about wrong-uns, I've got a wrong-un for you now. Oh. So this is a Daily Mirror story that's been written by Michael Much and Lorraine King. And this is from an area you might like, actually, because it's not too far away from Kraken Cove. So a pervert, 64, <laughs> <laughs> wore a school uniform to carry out a depraved attack on young girl. Oh, right? Shit. Now, Hull Crown Court heard Michael Wilson masqueraded as a pupil of Headland's school in Bridlington before he attacked his victim. When police searched its home, they found a number of blazers with the crests of other schools. Oh, God. Is he a shorten, then? Is he, like, some cranky type of dude, or what? Well, let's, let's, uh, let's delve into this, right? <laughs> so this 64-year-old man, Michael Wilson, he wore a wig and dressed up as a schoolboy in uniform <laughs> before he sexually assaulted this girl. So um, he squeezed, it was at Headlands School in Bridlington, which uh, I know quite well, actually. And he, and he squeezed the teenager's bottom on January the 8th last year. <laughs> I think, come on, mate, you know. And when police searched his home in Bridlington the day after his arrest, they found a secret room. Oh, oh they did. So they found a secret room which contained a story written by Wilson. Yeah, and it was titled, <laughs> My Life as a 13-Year-Old Schoolboy. So, <laughs> how old was he again? What what was his age? Well, I think you're getting to the good part now. You see, because he's 64 years oh, old. Oh, wrinkly now, old head in little. T- I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and show you. <laughs> I'm gonna try and show you a picture of this guy, right? So you you get a little a feast your eyes on this character. How about? Oh, he <laughs> he's got a fucking beard though. Oh. <laughs> Nice bowl cut. The bowl cut's not bad, but he looks like he's got some fucking. Ain't just a beard. You can't see his mouth. It's that thick. He's got a fucking. He's got this massive Beatles bowl cut, right? <laughs> and a great big fucking beard, right? The beard's now, immense. So they're seeing this guy oh. disguised himself as a schoolboy. That's the shittest disguise I've ever of course, seen. Of you have a ship. He's done quite well with the air, you know, if you were like in the 1950s or something. It's quite black still, isn't it? But it's a very good bob. <laughs> it's a good bob. The beard. And, and, Let's get to the beard. And he's got this so he's got the giant beard. Now, what, what absolutely fucking bamboozles me, right? He's, he looks 64. Yeah, he's got yeah. lovely big head of hair. But he looks like fucking Ringo Starr. Yeah, he's very wrinkly. With a big beard. Oh, imagine how terrifying so how, that how is. Well, what, I, what I'm amazed at, he's got all these other blazers, right, with all these other patches on for all these other schools. He has no other previous criminal convictions, and there's no other reports of him doing it. I wonder if he's just been getting away with it. <laughs> People wow. just saying, oh, yeah, young Master Wilson, his balls dropped at an early age. Look you do him. get them, though, don't you? The one in my year, or just proper, he was like, he'd gone through puberty before I went to big school, you know what I mean? Went to, oh, in showers, it were absolutely obscene. You know, he was teachers. <laughs> Were scared of him, you know. <laughs> so the man just thought he's one of them, but he doesn't look like one Do you of them. Like big angry thatch and this big, <laughs> yeah, and humongous pipe on him. He goes, no, he don't actually. He, 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 how he's got away with it is absolutely beyond me. I'm bamboozled. I'm bamboozled. <laughs> Oh, it's fucking scary, isn't it, though? Bridlington's like a real hot spot for wrong-uns, though, isn't it, I find? Oh, well, the, the the reason is, a lot of the time, that you get some, some severe wrong-uns at the coastal towns is because the uh, councils ship them away because it's cheap housing at the, at the coast, you see. It's so not an I go on holiday. Fucking, it's wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, a lot of it's the your, your cheap B and B scene. It's the it's the B and Bs. So mm. rather than actually sort of paying from a full sort of council house, like for Rongans coming out of prison here, uh, which might cost sort of six, seven, eight hundred quid a, a month or something, uh, over at Seaside they can stick them in a B and B, and they could be sort of do it for a couple of hundred quid a, a quid a month. Oh, that uh, is but it, it doesn't do well for your jolly bobs, does it? Yeah, it doesn't at all. Yeah. You got a course. You expect it to be like normal, don't so, you? But, you know, it's one of those things. He's uh, he's been caught now. Good. So he's, he's, what's he's he got been, though? What, yeah, that's what's what his sentence? He'd be bugger off. Do you know what? I, 
I think he's. He, I think it is pretty much bugger all. He hasn't actually said it's. It's going to. Well, he hasn't been sentenced yet, so we don't know. But he's. He's not going to get much for that. Secret is it? Squeeze the girl's bum. Ball <laughs> 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 oh, love though. She must be terrified. away from people like that you see because they're just wrong and so mm, we're going to go please. to a bit more right so what we've got here is a story by uh, from Huffington Post right by David Moy and a chihuahua that can't walk befriends a pigeon that can't fly <laughs> so, <laughs> well, how's that relationship so what happened is, um, well I've got a theory about this but let's, let's, let's look into the story first right so birds of a feather stick together but what if one of the birds is actually a dog <laughs> Which is a crap line to start any story off with. I mean, David Moy, up your game, mate. So, in what would typically be an unlikely friendship outside of the world of cartoons, a chihuahua puppy that can't walk has made friends with a pigeon that can't fly. And it all started six weeks ago when Lundy, the chihuahua, uh, showed up at the Mia Foundation, a non profit in Rochester, New York, that helps animals with disabilities. And there he met Herman. A pigeon that has been at the foundation for the past few years because he's unable to fly. Most how did the both wait a minute? How did the both get there though? You said like the Chihuahua just rocked up one day. Did he get a taxi or something? <laughs> <laughs> what about a bird that doesn't fly? How did he get there? Well, I think what happens is I think people have found sort of sickly animals. Oh, on right. the I, don't I, think, I think they've been dropped off by humans. Sorry, I thought you mean you got there on the run. <laughs> Carry on, so, sorry. So they reckon, they reckon that the, the pigeon can't fly because of, due to a, a brain injury, right? <laughs> or the West Nile virus, which Ooh. I think is all very specific to a pigeon that can't fly. I mean, it's, it's all... Uh, why they've looked this far into it, I don't know, but it, it's <laughs> happened. So Mia, the Mia Foundation founder, Sue Rogers, said the heartwarming friendship began when she put them together while attending to London. So when the two started snuggling, they didn't peck or nibble each other. So she got out the camera and she oh. thought, oh, this is lovely, right? So I had her, she says, I had Herman in a dog bed and was tending to Lundy. I sat Lundy next to him and they looked so adorable that I snapped a few photos, <laughs> right? So after that, she put the photos on Facebook and the reaction just blew her away. There's been loads of donations to the foundation. $6,000 worth of donations in two days. <laughs> now, I do have a bit of a theory about this. Right. If you take anything that can't walk and stick it next to something that can't fly, <laughs> neither mm. party can fuck off, can they? <laughs> Very true, isn't it? He ain't snuggling. So, He's trying to wriggle away from each other in disgust. <laughs> well, this is it. You just think... No, mate, you know, it's like saying, oh, these two sausages are best friends because I put them next to each other in the pan. <laughs> yes. Look at them in the pan. That bacon and yeah. sausage love each other. So, yeah, so they snuggled up with these two, like, two sausages in a pan, but you're not going to turn around and say that they're the best mates, are you? Big tellers, like, put them next to something else, that kind of like a tortoise or something. You know, you ain't going to go far in a few seconds, see if it's still snuggling up then. It's, we need well, to we, test this out. We need to test this out. We need more and more animals, right, that can't walk. Or can't fly, <laughs> or can't swim, or something, and we just need to stick them all next to each other to see what happens. <laughs> oh, just take them apart because they might be hating this. You know what I mean? They're not oh. friends at all. They proper hate each other and they can do fuck all about it. <laughs> I think you're absolutely correct. I think that's actually the truth of the matter. They hate each other and they're just thinking, "Get me away from this fucking dog." When you're saying that, it's a, if the uh, if the pigeon's got a really bad brain injury, it might just be like, "Yeah." <laughs> And dogs looking at him in disgust, thinking, "Oh, I hate this stupid seagull." Oh no, they're absolutely fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think that's what we need to do. Uh, yet again, we need to find more research into this yeah. and find lots of animals uh, that can't move or walk or fly, and we just need to shove them next to each other and see if this is an actual thing. So, oh, we just met loads of fucking money out of it by cripping up animals, you know what I mean? Let's get a load of them, like start doing them in a bit, get them next to it. If she's in two, what is it, six grand in a couple of days? It's Come right on, money mate. Maker. Oh, maybe not. Cri- <laughs> cripping up loads of animals for money. You've shown up. 
Dolphins and seagulls, just the bad animals, not the good ones. Not you like nice should have dark side, a fucking dark side <laughs> to your nature there. I think we need to move on. What we need, you see, yeah. what we, what the world needs, we without that dark shit, we need a hero. That's what yes, we need. Yes, I love mate. a hero. That's what you we need, need a hero. all the time. And this is this guy. He's, this is only a little story, is this? But uh, this was from Sky News as well, right? It's it's a New Hampshire cop strips down and walks home in his underwear after he gets it gets after he's let go. So what happens oh. is. <laughs> you mean let go and like you got fired? Well, I let you know. Yeah, that's it. You see, so officials <laughs> they, they decided to close down the one man department, right? Police department in Croydon, New Hampshire, right? Leaving the officer to hand to hand over his clothes. So what happened is a police officer in the US caused a scene at a local board meeting of his department by stripping down to his underwear and walking out in a snowstorm, right? Oh, Jesus, I'd get I love that. Yeah. So Richard Lee, who was the only police officer in the town of Croydon, New Hampshire, so he was doing a really important job, man. He lost his job on Tuesday night after the board closed the area's branch and gave neighbouring New Hampshire State Police full coverage of the town. Oh man! So, so saving com- them pennies out there. Oh, he's disgraceful. And he's a know. one-man hero looking after that town. That's so, sad. At the conclusion of the meeting, Mister Lee was asked to immediately turn over his gun, badge, and uniform, as oh, well. So as they the- asked for his uniform. I thought he were like protesting. And they asked for the pl- keys to his police cruiser, right? <gasps> so. Mr. Lee then just said, all he did was, he thought, right, that's it. Stripped off, dumped the whole lot, right? So this is what he says, Mr. Lee says, I gave them my uniform shirt. I gave them my turtleneck. I gave them my ballistic vest. I sat down in the chair, took off my boots, took off my pants, put those on the chair, but I put my boots back on and walked out of that goddamn door. <laughs> Wow, I mean, just think, what a man. So a that... funny uniform, though, turtleneck. <laughs> I took off my blouse. I took off my panties. My stockings, too. <laughs> I rolled those suspenders down. Real slowly. my bra. <laughs> I teased him for a bit and then it fall on the floor. <laughs> I slowly, real slowly pulled down my panties. <laughs> just... <laughs> My bell bottom. <laughs> he, he just, how much has he got on? <laughs> He's just got tons of clothes on. So, without having any spare clothes in the office, Mr. Lee had to walk for nearly a mile in a storm in just his underwear before his <laughs> wife could pick him up to take him the rest of the seven mile journey home. Oh, that's. Why didn't he just wait in the station? Like, you know, or did he want that big impact? No, that's it. He's out. I don't think he was even allowed in. Because they basically binned him. So he says he added that he left his gear, right, as he did not want to face the prospect of being arrested for theft. Oh, what is, is the world coming to? He were, ready, he, were, he were ready to walk seven miles in his fucking undies home. Karma's oh. an absolute git, man. That town, you know what I mean? They'll be begging him soon. He's going to twist around as his story. I want to keep following this one. I do as well. I'm going to keep my. I think. I think they've let the wrong guy go there. I think he's the cop that the, the world needs right now. It's you like know. a movie, though, isn't it? When you imagine him, you, know, you can see him with dirty, big, tighty whiteies going out of the door <laughs> with boots. You know, dark night, and you see him getting slower and slower. I don't like the idea of his wife picking him up, though, at Endit Road. That's a bit. It spoils the no, but movie. Can imagine, <clears throat> can imagine, though, if, you, if you're walking out and you look like you see tighty whiteies, and you've, you've walked out boldly, but you've got a big old skidderers. Oh, you get splashed on the way out as well. It is all browned undies. You've been running, wouldn't you? Like, oh, no. <laughs> All the rest of the people at that board that have been they've been a bit humiliated until they turn around and he's walking and thinking, Jesus Christ, it's in the back of Richard Lee's pants there. He's got shit all the way down his legs. Oh my god. It was like Formula One back there. <laughs> it was like the starting line at Stand Apart, the skin <laughs> Formula One. Er geschieht verdammt, 
waar ik zo graag wil komen, daar waar geen leed kan bestaan. But the thing is, you see, that's and that's a story of like a good guy. Um, you know, sort of like getting being being badly treated. But what we need to see is we need to see bad guys getting the shit, don't we? Yeah, that's what should be happening in the world. So this is a this is a, another story I've got. This is from the Guardian, and this is a star story right of an Irish drug dealer, and he loses forty six million pounds worth of Bitcoin cards, right? <laughs> that he hid in a fishing rod case. Oh. Uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> what happened? So, uh, the Clifton Collins' fishing gear was taken to the dump by his landlord after he was put in jail. So, Collins used the proceeds of dealing cannabis to buy 6,000 Bitcoin, right? When the yeah. cryptocurrency's value was relatively low, <laughs> right? And so, but the problem was, right, so he's got 46 million pounds worth of Bitcoin codes, right? And you think to yourself, what am I going to do with these codes to keep them safe? Now, we've all got little hidey holes and stashes. I mean, if you remember rightly, you told us one time about you've got this little sort of gap underneath your uh, your step, yeah, my, didn't you? Yeah, my step, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you've got the potential to stash things there. But he didn't have sort of like a little stash place. His solution was to print them all off onto an A4 piece of paper and stash these codes in this piece of paper in the aluminium cap of a fishing rod case that he kept in his rented home. In Now, I'm going to struggle here. It's Fernort in Connemara in uh, County Galway. And it seemed like a good idea at the time, but then three things happened. Police arrested him, right, after finding 2,000 euros worth of cannabis in his car. And he was sentenced to five years jail. Uh, five years in jail? I think that's a bit steep, don't you? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. So then the smoky smoke. Just a little bit of schmucky schmuck, you know. And, and the landlord of the uh, of his Galway house, he had to clear it all out. And he, he just thought to himself, well, what am I going to do with all this shit? He took everything to the dump, right? <laughs> he dumped all his shit, right? <laughs> Poor bastard. I know, this is it. But it's, it's all the already, he's, he's made all his money from drug dealing, though. So 46 yeah. million, you know what I mean? It's, it's, and to be fair, though, back then when he bought this Bitcoin, it wasn't worth that much. It wasn't like he had 46 million quid. It's turned into 46 million. Quid. Oh, when he's been in Nick, you mean? Yes. Right, I thought, it. why is he in rented accommodation? You won't be renting, would you, with millions in bank? And plus, I won't be putting in no bloody fishing tube. It's like the poop purse. 46 million quid, that's going up with Trumper, man. Jail or no Trumper. <laughs> you know what I mean? He put like that gold watch out of bloody Pulp Fiction. Oh, it's it going be. nowhere, man. That's you know coming I mean? with me, innit, that? That is coming exactly. with you. So, the, uh, it was originally... Oh, this guy's quite, I quite like the sound of this guy, though, this this drug dealer, Clifton Collins. I like his name for a start. Yeah, it's good uh, name. So, yeah, it's his, uh, he, he was originally from Crumlin, a working-class district of Dublin. And he worked as a security guard and a beekeeper. Oh, that's and nice. He won awards for his honey. And, <laughs> but then, uh, as a little bit of a what sort of... What went wrong? Uh, what went, uh, that's a really good question. Something's gone wrong there. But he started cultivating cannabis. He was growing it. He's a bit of a grower. Ah, right. So, uh, and he was... It, 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 Collins used the proceeds to buy, uh, of his drug dealing to buy 6,000 Bitcoin in late 2011 when the fledgling cryptocurrency's value hovered around $5, right? But... Now, Bitcoin is worth nearly $10,000. Jeez. So it was only sort of like, that's what we're talking about, 11 grand's worth of Bitcoin he bought, and, yeah, it's, turned, yeah. and it's turned into, like I said, million. 46 million quid's worth. What the chuff is going on there? Poor bugger, imagine me and Nick, and you're looking at papers thinking, oh my God. Oh my god, he's like winning lottery every day. He's going up, he's going up, he's going up. He's going up. Yeah. Oh, fucking fishing tank. What's he going to do to that landlord when he gets hold of him? Well, you, you just think about it, right? Right, you're a landlord, right? You've got all this gear. You don't tip all that shit, do you? No. You go through it to find the good stuff, don't you? Yeah, yeah. My theory is somebody has bought that fishing tackle. Somebody's got it from a charity shop, aren't they? And they're now they're just on the river now, aren't they? They're just casting a line in. They're just pulling it back, having a bit of fly fishing, and then pan back towards the shore, right? And there's this bag of fishing tackle, and there's a little shiny metal cap on it. Oh, and in that metal God. cap is the equivalent of forty-six million quid, just resting oh. there. But is even like- if you if you found it, you know he's not going to write on it Bitcoin code. Oh, hopefully he did. You know what I mean? But. You just you see a paper with a load of numbers on it. You're not going to do out with it, are you? Well, oh, what that is is 
that is the equivalent, modern digital equivalent of a uh, a treasure map, isn't it? Yeah, true. Yeah. So and it's it's out there now, mate, and it's it's out there for somebody to find. So it's you like never people know. that skip. So if it ain't some, if you haven't flogged the gear, you seen them like a set of bloody pikey <laughs> seagulls at the skip anyway. I can't. You're not even throwing it in. They're taking it out your hand. They've got a big squat round corner. They shouldn't be taking any of that home. They take most of the good stuff. I've seen them. And then yeah, if you try, if you keep your eye out, they're like, "Fuck off! You're not taking out home. It's well, ours." Well, they'll, they'll, they'll be looking out for all the bits and stuff. They won't. They won't know about Bitcoin, will they, them lads? Mm. They only all bother about old bikes and sort of finding somebody's porn stash. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> it? Talking about um, talking about pornography though, um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, I've got a story here about uh, a Cambridge University don, right? Uh, dong or don? Not dong, no, a don, so like a professor. <laughs> a a Cambridge, dong. A, a, a Cambridge University professor wrote erotic fiction about his students. Oh Jesus! Why would you do that? Well, this, this, I mean, this is. Let's face it. You're a you're a Cambridge University professor. You don't get that job easily, do you? <laughs> you know what I mean. You've got to work like fuck to do do that, right? Yeah. So here's the story. So a Cambridge University academic who was accused of sexual harassment published erotic fiction about students the year complaints were made about him. Dr. Peter Hutchinson quit teaching at Trinity Hall in 2015 following an internal investigation into his conduct. It has now emerged he self-published a raunchy book centred around a ver- university in the same year. The, bo- the Don said the book offered a progressive view of women. So, Dr. Hutchinson, a former lecturer in modern and medieval languages, I bet he used none of that in his fucking stuff, <laughs> <do you? laughs> Yeah, ye oldy titties and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he agreed to stop teaching and attending social events in 2015 after facing complaints of inappropriate comments from 10 students. But there was a bit of a scandal, you see, because they didn't... I remember this, because they, uh, they let him do loads of stuff still. They really they only gave him a slap on wrist, and he just carried on university life as normal. He was a bit of a... He's a wrong one. What, what do you remember, though? What, what comments he was saying? Well, what was it? Well, they don't really say what he, what he was doing. It was sort of... It was just inappropriate stuff. Really. Yeah, he was just yeah. being a bit of a dirty lech. And he was sort of semi-sack. But now he's fully sacked now. They've had to sort of ask... <laughs> so you were a bit, a bit of a semi-don. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so they've really discovered then about these books, right? So, so Dr. Hutchinson has confirmed he is the author of the book called First Time... Ooh la la. <laughs> Which was published under the name Barry Abel. Right? <laughs> Fucking Barry Abel. Yeah. Someone who sells it on TV. Isn't it? I, I'm Barry Abel. Silly <laughs> <it> bang. <laughs> it's a different bang. Ooh la la. <laughs> Ooh la la. So the book tells a story of an innocent first-year student called Peter at a fictitious Oxford college who is found guilty of alleged sexual impropriety after a series of erotic adventures. (laughs) Most of the women students in the book are members of a college sex club called The Virgins. And what, must... it much of a fucking club is it? Fucking <laughs> sex club if you're all virgins. What are they doing? Just, just with the hands. We do do the talk other. about doing it wrong. It is just dry humping. That's all we do. <laughs> and it must. And the thing is, this club, the virgins, must sleep with a man or a senior academic. No, oh, he called fucking Barry. By <laughs> Each week to remain in the group. In the opening of the text, a female student is called a brazen hussy. So he is using his um his, his older medieval languages. Yeah, there. True, yeah. Yeah. A buxom brazen hussy. 
And this is, and others are described as being well endowed in lingerie, suspenders, and garter belts. To be fair, there could be talk about Richard Lee, the New Hampshire cop there, couldn't there? <laughs> yeah, walking up. <laughs> John Wayne. He's there, we've got a fucking Barry Abel, he's like, we just turned up, got a big moustache, going, what the hell are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to do it once a week. <laughs> oh, you blazing hussy! <laughs> So, uh, the front cover features an image of a woman's legs in stockings, which Dr. Hutchinson confirmed belonged to one of his students. Oh, thank God, I thought you meant him then. Oh, that'd be, him. no, it might be fucking Richard Lee again. <laughs> Just, yeah. Right, leg, so, right, nobbly. Has he took it on sly then? Well, I don't know, you see, because what happens is Dr. Hutchinson said he did not see a problem using an unidentified photo of a student. Adding he was not present when it was taken, so I think he's been ferreting through their Facebook <laughs> stuff, and he's mm. found it, hasn't he? Oh, I mean, Facebook stalkers, I hate him. <laughs> oh, he's just, I think, what a dirty get. So he's been done. That wrong has been done. And that's What's another his good name thing. again? His real name, not the Barry one. Oh, his Doctor real name, what? right, is Pe- Dr. Peter Hutchinson. Peter Hutchinson. When you were saying it, I'm thinking Doctor. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah on. but he's but he goes under the name of Barry Abel. So I've not I've not gone on um... <laughs> Barry Abel. <laughs> Barry I Abel. love that name. I've I've not, I've not been on the um, uh, uh, what's his name uh, Amazon yet to see if I can find any of his publications <laughs> and stuff. But we'll have a little look later again. Another little bit of research. Uh, we, nice. we all need like... something. To, we all need something to read at the moment, don't we? <laughs> yeah. So we need a little copy. We need to see if we can find a copy of First Time Ooh La La by Barry Abel. <laughs> <laughs> First one gets a prize. <laughs> there you see about sort of sexual contact and things like this is you know in especially in these strange times we're living in at the moment we can't really go around hugging each other can we exactly no no none of that <laughs> none of that malarkey but you see that's not going to bother the komodo dragon did you know this all right, right well right we've got a story right from a, a, a cycled offbeat right and louise staples writes about this right and it's in the independent <laughs> well louise staples oh yeah I'm, uh, yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> i'm just confirming it just confirming it i think your I'm favorite sure thing you about these fucking names <laughs> your There's favorite no... thing about this whole thing is just the different names i <laughs> but fucking louise staples it's just like i've never heard that second name before but sorry i, I interrupt yeah, that, that's all right that's all right <laughs> <laughs> so, Komodo dragon shocks zookeepers by giving birth to babies conceived without a male, right? Mm. Right, so last year the Chattanooga Zoo in Tennessee welcomed three Komodo dragons, right? So, uh, three uh, three out, but they're all female, right? right. So, but, now, but now the endangered species have thrown something of a curveball in the zoo's direction. One of the dragons has given birth without any involvement from a male dragon, so the process of giving birth without a male is called pathogenesis, and it doesn't happen in mammals, right? We can't do this, right? Yeah, Although yeah. the Bible begs to differ. <laughs> Done it always. <laughs> oh, exactly. So birth without male involvement is still very rare, but this isn't the first time zoo animals have surprised us in this way. Last year, a water dragon... We've got some bloody great names of these things, yeah, haven't yeah. we? At the Smithsonian National Zoo that had been isolated from males shocked zookeepers by laying a bunch of eggs. So we have no choice, right, but to be impressed by these independent women or reptiles. So how does this happen, right? So what happens is the female Komodos always carry both the W and Z or Z chromosomes. This is what makes it possible. So when parthenogenesis occurs, the mother can only create WW chromosome eggs or ZZ chromosome eggs. So eggs with a sex chromosome of WW aren't available, leaving only ZZ eggs to produce all male hatchlings. So when they give birth, they can only give birth to females. It's like females can give birth to females and so on. But mm-hmm. they can't but to actually create um better genetic diversity, which is really important, that's why you create males. You know what I mean? Because that's when the males then will sort of mix things up and you know. Well that's... there were a lot of Zs and Ys and all that, but I'm sure you need to grow a cock and balls as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Can you imagine what a Komodo dragon's cock looks like? Oh, green and nasty. You'd probably be able to buy them nowadays. You can buy them dragon cocks and stuff, guys. Oh, no. Weird <laughs> shit. You can. Oh, 
Don't let's not go there. You yeah, know let's, I mean? let's backpedal wildly there. Yeah. But they say one of the reasons why this might occur, right, is because Komodos aren't known for being the friendliest of creatures, which is why the females mm. in this case might have just decided to go it alone. It's less dangerous to just have babies on your top. Oh, I'm getting this now. So you're not meaning like two of them are rubbing against each other. One's just stood there and it's doing it all himself. Is that what you're All herself. She's right. doing it all herself. Yeah, right. she's, she's not yeah. She's not sort of mating in any way, shape or form. She's yeah, just, sorry, I lost it all there. Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 no, it's easy to understand. I mean, it's confusing stuff, let's face it. I mean, we as we know it, we you know, you, it takes man and woman to make a baby. Unless, yeah, you're yeah. El- unless you're Elton John and his uh, lovely partner, David Furnish. <laughs> <laughs> Which I wholeheartedly agree with. I think they should be able to uh, uh, have all the children they want. Especially the money they <laughs> Backpedal, backpedal. <laughs> Let's get back to Komodos. <laughs> so, but, you know, it seems like in the world of the reptiles, you don't need to have... You know, that's not an issue. It's not a problem. So, yeah, maybe fuck, a bit I'll more tell you of what, that. They're mucky, though, aren't they, Komodos? With dirty mouth and that. You know, do they bite something and then they just, like, slumber after it and it's poisoned and that. That's how they eat it, though. They just wait it out. Well, you are absolutely correct. I mean, it, what it was originally thought of was because there was so much bacteria and toxins in the mouth, they thought they'd just go and bite something and then it just go manky with the wound and they yeah. just get toxic shock and die. But it has been discovered they are actually... Uh, they're, 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 uh, they've got venom. They've got a venom in there. Oh, so right. there is, yeah, so there's poison, some sort of poison in their bite, so which has yeah. only recently been discovered. But that's a very good point. They are manky. I would, yeah. I won't want to get attacked by them. All. Oh, imagine uh, being on one of them because it's only like little islands out there. That'd be horrible living on one of them islands. I'd be shite in it, absolutely. Oh, no. They are. I'm glad they're called dragons because they are absolutely. Violet, it's like the monitor lizards. Have you got up close to one of them? Oh no, they're just fuck they're... me. They're frightening. I've been in ocean before and looked round. There's one swimming next to me. I was like, Did you I are to... kidding? I swear to God, on uh, what were it called? Kotau in Thailand, this little island. I didn't know if to puke or just swim away. You know, my first reaction was just to start barfing. It was just like, oh, you motherfucker, <laughs> get away from me. <laughs> Other one were like, swim like hell. You know what I mean? It didn't go for me. Though. It was just swimming about all happy and that. It was gross. Course. It must have been terrifying the fact that your your head's at the same level as them. It was, it, that's the thing, and it was really silent in water, and he could see no. his little claws swimming and like it was fucking horrible. Oh, that's so bleak. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you've had I think you've had a bit of a bit of a decent sort of escape there. You, you know, you yeah, got, you got away got away lucky, hadn't you? <laughs> you didn't get jawed by it or like oh, dry ups or oh, they were all right. <laughs> Let's take a different turn now. Let's turn away from the Komodo dragons and things like this, right? And uh, here's a headline for you. Foo Fighter sees Foo Fighters. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> Dave Grohl reports a paranormal experience. And this is by, uh, by, this is by Paul Seaburn in the Mysterious Universe. <laughs> Great name as well, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> tell me so, more. I will tell you more, right? So, Dave Grohl says... I set it up overnight so we could see if there's anyone there and anyone was coming to fuck with us. At first there was nothing. And right around the time we thought we were ridiculous and we were out of our minds, we started to see things on the nest cam that we couldn't explain. So Dave Grohl's gone and set up some sort of cameras because he thinks something odd's on the go, right? What, outside his house, like? Yeah. So who who would fuck with Dave Grohl, founder and lead (laughs) singer of Foo Fighters and former drummer of Nirvana? Would you believe a Foo Fighter would? Not a band <laughs> member, but some kind of paranormal force that Grohl claims actually messed with his sound equipment in a studio in a house where the band was recording its latest album. A haunted house that Grohl and the band eventually discovered had a sordid past. Mm. Was, was this ghost upset with the band's name or with their sound? When we walked into the house in Encino, I knew the vibes were definitely off, but the sound was fucking on. We started working there, and it wasn't long before things started happening. We would come back to the studio the next day, and all the guitars would be detuned. Well, come on, mate. <laughs> he's high as fuck. That's what he's doing. He's just off his fucking face. That's, that's like exactly right, you know. So, 
Grohl's described the band's recent experience in a high-quality home studio in California, right? The mm. guitar's becoming detuned overnight. It sounds more like a stringy shoe, maybe yeah, due to yeah. age, quality, or humidity. Bert Grohl says things got stranger quickly. So he's saying, I'm not going to do the voice because it's fucking killing me. <laughs> <laughs> we get the message. Yeah, but the settings that they put on the board, you know, the, the, the mixing board, all of yeah. them went back to zero. So they'd open a Pro Tools session on the Max and the tracks would soon be missing. The tracks were going mm. missing. Again, probably stoned, Dave. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting it so far. I want to see a little bit more in this, you know what I mean? Yeah, but what they're finding is when the mics were just open, right? They're finding weird sounds and weird little things in these oh, totally sweet. silent rooms, you know what I mean? What's it now, called? It... What's it called, that shit? Um, Electronic... Oh, um, uh, 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 um, uh, uh, EVP, isn't it? Uh, electronic it, voice yeah, phenomenon. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So that, that's what they've got. They've got. Um, they've been doing a bit of that. So what happened was this: they call what they call a Nest Cam, right? And it's um, it's like a baby monitor. That's what they've got. Americans call it a Nest Cam, but it's a baby monitor thing. So yeah, yeah. it's got a little uh, little camera on it. So Dave set this up, hasn't he, in his studio? What, all high-tech and shit? A baby yeah. monitor? Christ, if he goes into warbs <laughs> here, I'm going to be fucking disappointed in this dude, mate. So he set this up, right, in the, in the the uh, actually in the studio. So what they recorded on the monitor nearly stopped the recording of the album. But what was it? Now, Dave Grohl is no stranger to the paranormal. After the death of Kurt Cobain and the dissolution of Nirvana... Grohl recorded an album of original songs, playing all the instruments himself. So looking for a band name to hide his identity, he claims he was reading a lot of UFO books at the time, and liked the name of the mysterious UFOs the World War II pilots would see following their planes. So as Grohl puts it, there's a treasure trove of band names in these UFO books. So I totally agree as well, right? So the book is also influenced by the name of Grohl, uh, the name of Grohl's uh, label, Roswell Records. That's his that's his record label, and he's got his own film company called Roswell Films. So what the obviously sort of Foo Fighters were actually what the World War Two pilots called uh, any UFOs they saw. So that's what he's so he's, he's he's open. He's got an open mind. He's like us. He's got an open mind to these things. As Dave Grohl, you know, well, he's gone up in my in my view so far. This is this yeah. is good stuff. And this is good stuff. Now the worst thing is now I'm reading this this thing right. He said, "Has he seen something?" He doesn't describe what he sees on his on his cam. Oh, he never describes what? it. I'm waiting. This is going to be like the cherry on cake. I think. Come on, let me feast I'm upon these facts. Just looking at this story now. So the, all, all the saw was anomalies and things like that, right? Oh, this is why he, he says I had to fi- sign a non-disclosure agreement to what he'd seen. Right, he had to sign it with the landlord because he, this guy's trying to sell the place. So he can't give away what's happened. Oh, you tease. He's gone straight back down again. He oh, fucking Dave Grohl, you wanker. Why has oh. he even come out with this story and said, I've seen something amazing. Have you, Dave? What have you seen? I can't say. Oh. <laughs> but you wouldn't believe it. Jeez, it nearly stopped my album. But here's my album. Buy it. <laughs> this is, is it. it. Yeah. Is it free oh. publicity he's going for here? I think so. I think he's going for the free free publicity. I think he's just. I think he's just off his head. Well, <laughs> it, it, it sounds it, doesn't it? The, the first bits with detuning guitars and that. It's probably his mates done it and not told anybody. And and it, it all comes down to me. If he recorded that album by himself and played all these instruments on his on his own, Billy no mates. <laughs> he's making it up. Well, this is probably why, because he's full of shit. Nobody wants to hang out with somebody who's full of shit, do they? He's no. trying to come up with some, some hook to get some mates. Somebody like Dave Grohl and, and all these... I mean, they've got money falling out of their asses, haven't they? I, don't, I mean, I yeah. don't know why they're going to different places and renting places. Why don't you just have your own fucking studio? Yeah, you'd build an immaculate one, wouldn't you, Defo? Well, there's one place that you could be building it if you're a billionaire or a millionaire or something like that. And here's a story right by Elizabeth, Elizabeth Stamp from CNN. <laughs> you're fucking taking piss, Arkin. Louise <laughs> Staple? What's her name? Stamp, Elizabeth Stamp. <laughs> <laughs> 
yes, I'm going to check up on you on these. It's not just, I ended up been getting names from a stationery cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Sally A4. If it starts getting down there, the trouble. Go on, sorry. Terry Paperclip. <laughs> so this is from CNN, right? So what they're saying now is like, you imagine what like a doomsday bunker's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. What, an old and a new one? Well, <laughs> I bet there's plenty of them nowadays. <laughs> well, what, what's happening now is you see, um, if you say doomsday bunker, most people would imagine a concrete room filled with cots and canned goods, things like that, wouldn't they, you know? Or just my house. <laughs> <laughs> But the threat of global annihilation may feel as present as it did during the Cold War nowadays. But today's high-security shelters could not be more different from their 20th century counterparts. A number of companies around the world are meeting a growing demand for structures that protect from any risk, whether it's a global pandemic, hmm, an asteroid, or World War III, while also delivering luxurious amenities. Now, this story was written the 7th of August last year. So this is, you know what I mean? It's 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 looking wow. forward in the future. It's, it's, yeah, it's a good yeah. time, you know. Your father or your grandfather's bunker was not very comfortable, says Robert Vincino, a real estate entrepreneur and CEO of Vivos, a company who founded the build and manages the high-end shelters around the world, right? Mm. Now, he's turned around saying your father's or grandfather's bunker wasn't very comfortable. I don't think our dad had a bunker, did he? No, I don't think so. Well, saying that as old house, we had that little uh, air raid shelter in his we back did. garden. We did have an air shelter. So maybe, maybe that's what he's referring to. Maybe, uh, maybe Robert Vicino actually uh, knew our dad. <laughs> <laughs> so many of the world's elite, including hedge fund managers, sports stars and tech executives like Bill Gates and stuff like that, they've chosen to design their own secret shelters to house their family and staff. So, Gary Lynch, general manager of Texas-based Rising S Company, I don't know what that stands for, Mm. says 2016 sales for their custom high-end underground bunkers grew 700% to to 2015, while overall sales have grown 300% since November, and uh, since the presidential election. So, since Trump got in, Ah, the sale in Doomsday Bunkers has boomed. (laughs) Doomsday Bunkers. That's a great title. (laughs) So, this is it now, you see. So, the company's plate steel bunkers, which are designed to last for generations, could hold a minimum of one year's worth of food per resident, and withstand earthquakes. But while some want to bunker down alone, Others prefer to ride out the apocalypse in a community setting that offers an experience a bit closer to the real world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So there's a secret bunker in southeast London built to protect key government employees during a nuclear winter that's been transformed into a $4 million res- luxury residence. Ooh. So, develops of community shelters like these are often acquired, to, uh, they often acquire decommissioned. Uh, Cold War bunkers. That's yeah, what they yeah. find. They find these, and actually, East uh, East Yorkshire, our little area and stuff like that, Yorkshire. There's loads of these, you know. There's loads of really big underground bunkers, and I've seen one of them. I've not been in it. By, by, by golf balls and that, by uh, Pastilkley and Otley and stuff. Up, up, well, up well, Mars. Oh, oh, I know what you're saying. It's uh, the. Uh, uh, the uh, listening is uh, oh, uh, it's, uh, men with hill. It's called. That's it. it it's yeah. an American airbase. Is that and these bunkers up there and things like this. But the, the, you're, you're right in what you're saying. But actually, if you were to see a Cold War bunker, all you actually see really, a lot of the time, is just like a well, it's like a mound with like a little uh, like a little metal building on top, tiny. It's almost like a telephone box sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And everything's just underground. All the shit that's going on is just underground, and that's well, where. Well, closer than up there, then. If you, you see one in Leeds area or around Crackle Well, there's, there's there's rumoured to be one in the Leeds area. Yes, there. In fact, if I remember rightly, now I'm I'm just starting to remember there is a an underground bunker in the Leeds area that was um, built. I think it was built to house maps and things like this, and it's. I, I, I have to find the address of it because somebody did tell me about it. But there is actually maps, maps, and you know, things like like important documents, things like. Well, this. we got loads in Yorkshire. <laughs> We've yeah, got well, all maps of England. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff in Yorkshire. It's actually stored here. It's, it's like there's loads of like archives, um, oh, government yeah. archives in Yorkshire because we're, it's a lot more remote than the capital. So, for example, yeah. if there was a, a nuclear strike on London. The chances of them actually have a nuclear strike in the Yorkshire, East Yorkshire area specifically, because there's nothing there, 
is mm. a lot of stuff that's going to survive. So there's all these little hidden bunkers about containing but, all sorts uh, of stuff. But I'll tell you what, though, they, they should hide something better than maps because after a nuclear war, you, you're not going to find your way around with a map. Are you? You're going to get it out. You're going to be like, this looks so different. You know what I mean? Well, I, I, I do agree with that. I do agree with that. But I think I think there's probably probably other stuff there as well. I think there's a lot of very important documents stacked there. So yeah, that, I, think yeah. that, I think that's the basis of it. But you see, that's important stuff. But what's mm-hmm. happening is, as these become or became less and less important, they've been taken over of these bunkers now and they're being sort of like pimped out by these sort of like uh, these companies so they're Those, putting when they flip in, it you know what I mean when they flip a bunker you know what I mean yeah, well, this is it. This, I think this is actually what's actually occurring here I think it could well be so there's, there's some of them they're building things like they've got things like swimming pools and stuff like this in it but one of the shelters for example Vivos has made X Point is near the Black Hills of South Dakota Right, and it in it costs, consists of five hundred and seventy-five mili- uh, military bunkers that served the oh, army nice. as depots, ammunition depots in nineteen sixty-seven. So what's happened is, now you get this. Now you get your head around this. So that's five hundred and seventy-five different military bunkers. They've connected them together, right? Oh yeah. Presently, they've been converted into a facility that will accommodate five thousand people underground. <laughs> Right, what? the interiors of each of these bunkers, right, are outfitted by the owners at a cost of between twenty five thousand and two hundred thousand dollars each. So you could have one of these little bunkers or a big luxury room, but basically it's a city. It's a city yeah, underground yeah. that they're building, and the, the compound itself will be equipped with all the comforts of a small town, including a community theatre, classrooms, hydroponic gardens for growing your own vegetables, a medical clinic, a spa, and a gym. That is mental. I tell you what, those weird. With this is, I was watching some show at Christmas on telly, and it was like next to Russia with this country. And I'm going to give you such a poor Benny fact with this, but it's fascinating. <laughs> um, it was like Finland or Denmark or something, you know, right on border with Russia. I can't, I'd have to look at a map or read. I'll, I'll get the oh, facts yeah. for next yeah, time. That's, that's fine. Yeah. They, they were that balls off with Russia. They said right. As a whole country, we're going underground and we're going to build everything like this humongous area, you know, like a humongous shopping mall, apartments, swimming pools, keep fit areas, you know, massive indoor, you know, it could be a football pitcher, it could turn it into tennis courts. You know, it's so grey and quite grim, but they did it, you know, with massive blast doors and stuff. Uh, and they just used it as like, you know, we've got our shopping malls and um, shopping centres. They've just gone underground, you know what I mean? And it's still oh, there really? now, really 70s style. And they kept it all clean, it's totally used, you know what I mean? They got through it without getting bombed. But, you know, back in the day, you know, honestly, you watch it. I'll send you a link and we'll get it online somewhere and I'll get a well, bit more information. Funny enough, one of these ones here that I'm looking at is, is the the, uh, the Oppidum, right? It's in the Czech Republic. Right. And it's built as the largest billionaire bunker in the world. And it, it sounds to me like it was from something of that era, a huge yeah, area, yeah. that has, again, has been transformed into a luxury area now. So they're wow, taking all right. these places that were there and they're making them super, super mega luxury. So all your billionaires and millionaires and stuff like that, now through all these little bothers that we've got, I mean, we're sort of like struggling to get to Tesco's from the, the lighthouse occasionally. <laughs> and we're get, only getting minimum supplies out from Pete the bloody rower. Well, no, you know he's I mean? getting shitter. He is a bit, but then he's got a lot on, I suppose, at the moment. Oh, you know, I mean, a lot of deliveries and things. But you know, we I mean, we need our things to lighthouse, don't we? We need our <laughs> supplies. So, but I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they can have the bloody bunkers. I'm yeah, happy with yeah. my lighthouse. I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. We'll so, but proud. <laughs> I, I've noticed though now it's it's cracking flags out there, and it? it's really it sunny. It's absolutely gorgeous. So, Joe, you know I'm thinking now we've got our little tins of pop here. You know what I mean? I've got some. Uh, I have got some crisps. I've found some crisps in the cupboard. You've found some crisps. Mm, yeah, so why, yeah. why, why don't you just nip out and you pop up an extra um, an extra deck chair for me on the yeah. on the balcony up there? You know what I mean? I'll make bring sure up, yeah. bring it. Bring your broom with you and make sure you twat a few of them seagulls away because you know I don't <laughs> like. Them, right? <laughs> I'll get rid. Don't worry. And I'll, and I'll bring I'll bring the pop and crisps up. Yeah, should, should we yeah. do it like that? So Pro, we'll get... cocktail, mate. Please, if we've got. Oh. Absolutely fine. I'm a plain. I like plain. Just a bit of ready yeah. salted, mate. Yo, simple tastes, mate. I've got simple tastes. That's I why I'm like friends it. with if you. I'm, if I'm next to the seaside, I always like my prawn cocktail. Oh, it feels. 
So I think what we should do now is we should go enjoy the sun, and I think everybody should do the same if possible. Big um, time. And I just want to say, stay safe, everyone. Look after yourselves. And remember, if you need a friend, you can always find Benny and Matt at Crack and Cove. Exactly. So until next time, we'll say goodbye. So see you yeah. all later. Yeah, take care, guys, and uh, wash your paws. Benny out. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> see you later, guys. Bye. There are three ways you may contact Kraken Cove. Either by email at Podcast at gmail.com on Twitter at Kraken Cove or Instagram at Kraken Cove Pod. Ha ha!